Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. I really want to tag on what Anthony said, that word that he had about uh, it, can be, it can be sunny every day, right? So I went on a, went on a little run this morning and my intention was to go over this message and like, if I can do it in my mind and complete it by the time I get back, that'll be a good timely manner. Everybody can get out and go to lunch at a decent time. And so I'm on my run going through this message in my head. And uh, the, the Lord gives me a word. He's like, hey, I got something for you. I want you to preface this whole message with this word. And so I wrote it down. Um, but a lot of times we tend to feel like we're unworthy. And I know we even kind of speak that over ourselves. Uh, even in prayer and stuff, it's like, Lord, you're, you're so good and we don't deserve you and all these things. Uh, we say that a lot, like we don't deserve it. Anyways, I felt like he said, yes, you do. You, you, you do deserve me. And I came down and I paid for it. Everything that I did was for you uh, because I value you so much. So if anybody has that grid in their mind of like, I'm unworthy, or if you feel that little ounce of shame, it's like you have permission to scrap that. And also, to tag on top of that, I also felt that we're not destined to contend for His promises forever. We're not constantly stuck in this wheel of like wrestling with like, can I have that peace? And can I have that joy? Can I have that love? Uh, we're going to step into a place where we can accept it and like live it and know it and feel it. That peace that surpasses understanding. So, anyways, I just felt that. I felt like, yeah, tell them, don't feel shame. And my promises, they're there so that you can live these things. It's not, it's not just a concept that's distant. It's close. So, anyhow. Well, my name is James Harden. I have been here at Tyler House of Faith for, I think, six years now. Um, it's been an incredible six years. I consider this my family. Uh, and it's an absolute honor to be up here with the microphone today. And, uh, anyways, it's, it's crazy, but... Uh, today I'm going to share a little bit about my story. I want to start off with kind of my walk with the Lord, my introduction to Him, and then I want to go into what it looks like to prioritize the kingdom above like everything else in your life. Uh, so anyhow, anyhow, the worship set was incredible this morning. Uh, that first song, like there is safety in my Father's house. There is no shame in my Father's house. Uh, I had a dream three years ago. And, you know, we do dreams here. Write them down. I have notebooks and journals and thousands of notes of dreams and things that the Lord speaks to me. It's valuable to write these things down. But I had a dream that I was outside with these, uh, it was like a group of homeless people. And they didn't have any food. And they were asking me for food. And I said, yeah. I said, well, my dad's house is right around the corner. Let me go in. Let me sneak in there, get in that fridge. And he's got like bread. He's got water. So I'll just sneak in there and I'll see what I can get. And in the dream, my dad's house was this building. And the refrigerator was right here. The kitchen table was like right here. I remember it vividly. And the fridge was like stainless steel. When you open it, that like chill mist comes out. Like it's really cold. But the lights were off. So I walked in real timidly. And I go to the fridge. And I'm nervous. And I'm like, I'm just going to get one bottle out of here. And I open it, chill mist comes out, shh, like that. And uh, 
the Lord is standing right behind me. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I didn't know you were here. I'm just, there's some people out back and they really need some food. I'm just going to go get this and give it to them. I'm just going to take one bottle. And he says, no. He says, you, you get what you want. Like, this fridge is yours. Take as much as you want. Take it for yourself. Take it to your friends. Give it to them. And this, this dream, like, depleted that, that mentality of I'm not good enough. Uh, it really imparted that to me. And so I get this food. I'm like, okay. He's like, you have access to everything. This is your house. You have the keys to the front door. So I go outside and give these people food. Next scene of the dream, I'm in Olive Garden, and I have all this food. I didn't order from Olive Garden. I brought my own food. I'm just sitting at the table. And my daughter Kyla's with me. She was about six around this time, and this is still the dream. So we're in Olive Garden, and there are these two kids across the room, and they don't have parents. I see them. They're alone. They don't have any food. They don't have any parents. And I kind of talked to Kyla. I said, hey, we need to go give them some of our food. And so we did. We picked up our food, go to this table over here, and we give these kids food. And whenever we gave it to them, it lit them up. I saw such joy on their face that it was, it was very real. And when I did that, it was as if I took them like under my arm or my wing like a family, like brought them in like, like I've got you. The Lord has you. This is my Father's food. So that dream alone imparted to me like I have full, shameless access to my Father's house. I can approach Him boldly. And not only that, but like I can get this food here and I can take it and give it to other people. So two weeks passed. And Kyla, like I said, she's six, so we're in her room playing with dolls and stuff like that. She says, Daddy, I had a dream last night. I said, okay, what was it? She said, I had a dream that we were in Olive Garden. And there were these two orphans. And we had so much food that we gave them our food. <laughs> and like, if that doesn't, I didn't, I didn't tell anybody about this dream that I had. It was in my notes. Told nobody about it. And if that doesn't reiterate that fact, like, you have access to this. But another thing that it speaks is, hey, God speaks to everybody. And that's His voice. It, you know, you can... How does that happen? Like, it's coming from the same source to have that specific of a dream and message, you know? So anyways, that, that song, you know, There's No Shame in My Father's House. Uh, it's beautiful. So I haven't always had dreams and stuff like this. I haven't always heard from God. I really didn't know that He could speak, like growing up to the extent that He really can. Uh, so that's kind of where my story starts. So... One thing the Lord's been telling me recently is, speaking of taking bread to people and just sharing His heart with people, uh, I've really felt led and encouraged to, if somebody invites me to something, whether it's a Memorial Day, firework party, or uh, anything, like, just go to it. I feel, I feel a green light of like, yeah, just go get in the middle of all these people and meet new people and uh, kind of be my, be my hands and feet in the world and share my heart and and be open. Like, look at people. Look for the potential in people and pull it out. Uh, but one thing that I've really noticed is, especially in the kind of the religious system, what it, what it tends to do is I, I've seen people ask, like, Lord, I want you to bless my life. Like, lead me and guide me into all truth. And then they miss a step and they'll just go off and start a, a four-wheeler rally and say, four-wheelers for Jesus or something. And their, their hearts are pure and noble. But it seems like maybe the enemy has strategically and, and surgically cut out this particular aspect of 
You ask him for something, but then listen, wait on him, and like hear it from him. It's like we pray and we talk, but the other half of the equation is like he talks back. It's a communication, it's a dialogue. Uh, and it's probably the most important tool that we have, honestly. So anyways, uh, so I wasn't always like this. I'd say I've been here for six years. Um, so six years ago, I was at a pretty rough point in my life. Growing up, I was always creative. I like to draw pictures a lot. I was more, is it the left brain that's more creative or is it the right brain? Okay, I was right brain, see? More of a right brain person, not very logical, not good with numbers. In high school, my math teacher, my senior year, she said, James, this is not for you. She said, I'm just going to be honest, like, you're not good at this, but I, I really want you to get out of here, so I'm going to pass you. <laughs> Basically. Uh, but I had I always had this, like, creative side, you know, growing up. And what's really interesting, and I can see it now, is there are situations and instances in my life that I can look at now, and I was like, oh, the enemy strategically tried to shut me down in these specific areas that I was meant to walk in and function in. Uh, I've been like humiliated in class. I had a teacher in elementary school. Like I said, I was I like drew pictures and art was my thing. His teacher said, James, your artwork is horrible. Pulled me aside and said, your artwork is horrible. And I'm like, at this age, I'm like, that is so far fetched. And at that point, I was like, no, it's actually really good. It didn't really, it didn't really work, you know. And so things like that would come up. And then I also grew up with this grid of. I went to church, and I don't, I don't know that specifically this was the message that was really pushed on me, but it's the things that really stuck. It was the heaven and hell mentality. It was the end times thing. And so I wasn't even able to hear about Jesus because those things were so like looming and scary to me. And it was like almost like a foundation of fear, and let's call it God, or let's call it Jesus. And so it developed this fear of stepping out, I was always afraid, and I was thinking about this this week, my main fear was punishment. I was afraid to get in trouble. I was afraid of missing the mark out of fear of getting in trouble. Uh, and a lot of it came through, I mean, just various sources of authority. My dad was one of them back in the day, and I'll get more into that story in a little bit. But it was like, I had this feeling of like, I can't, I can't live up to this, but I have to spin my wheels and try anyways. Nothing will ever be good enough, that kind of thing. And what happens as you grow up when you're a kid and you go into like, you know, teenage years and high school and stuff like that, you start to, if you don't know how to express those things, if you don't know how to forgive people, if you don't know how to let go, that thing will take root deeper and it will develop into, I'm scared to make any moves. I can't do anything. I feel boxed in to resentment. Oh, oh, it's your fault. It's your fault I can't move. Oh, it's their fault too. And it becomes that, and then it becomes anger and hatred, and it really poisons your heart. So, I dealt with that. A lot of rejection in high school, things like that. Everybody has these things. I didn't know how to deal with it, you know? And it was the bitterness in my heart that I was hanging on to. Uh, so, then I started smoking. I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. I was drinking alcohol heavily, just all these things to cope with it, and just this, this cycle, right? So, years passed by. Not, not in a great place. I used to hate people. I could look at somebody and hate them. I know what it feels like to have like, like murder on your heart. I know that's really harsh, but it's true. I really hated people. I could look at them. And you can't tell now, hopefully. 
that I was like that, you know? But I used to really hate people, uh, rageful, uh, just violent thoughts, all these things. So going through life, all these things, I hit this two-week period in my life where every foundation of mine was shaken. I mean, just completely obliterated. Within two weeks, got in a car accident. I got T-boned by this, like, work truck. And they, like, swirled me off on the side of the road. I had glass in my face and my mouth. And I crawled out of the car. It was really traumatic for me. I was really shell-shocked by it. And the first person to show up to this wreck was my dad. And I'm like, oh, of all people, Tim, you know? Okay. But he gave me, my hat flew off in the wreck, and he gave me his hat, which was really sweet. I still have it. Um, but this, this, I got shell shot from this car accident. So that shook my grid, you know? And I'm not, like, praying. I don't know who God is at this point. I think it's a scam. I think the church thing is a, is a business model and a scam, and there's no power in it. It's like, here, let me teach you how to raise your family and how to have a good marriage and, you know, go to heaven when you die. That's it. God is like a God of of the end. He's not a God for now. He was the God of death. You'll get there one day, which is false. Absolutely false. So I get in this car accident, and then the following week, I'm, on a, I'm in a movie. It's the first movie I've ever been in, and I like love filmmaking. It's my thing. So there's this big low, and there's this big up point here, and then I found out my mom has cancer. It was a misdiagnosis. It wasn't even real. But at the time, I didn't know that. And I was like, oh, on my way back, as I was leaving the movie set, just psyched, get that news. So it was all these ups and downs, had some issues with my family. Everything gets shaken. And then I quit smoking cold turkey in the middle of it, which is not good. Not a good recipe. So everything is shaken at this point. And I am, I'm having these questions of, why am I here? What's the point of anything? I feel like a grasshopper. If I'm, I, I was scared to drive. Because if, if another truck hits me, like, it's over. We're just little grasshoppers. Anything could happen. Whatever God is, it's cruel, man. To do that to people. We're just bugs, is what I thought. It was awful. And so, anyways, I start to have those thoughts. And, and then my imagination gets polluted. I have these images and things that come through. These influences. I mean, to the point where I'm driving my car and it's like, hey, just steer the wheel real quick. You know, just go off the side of the road. You don't have to deal with this anymore. These influences. It was very real, and I didn't know how to get rid of them. I was like, basically, I would say tormented by them. My imagination had always been vivid growing up. I was always in that creative vein, and so now it's polluted. It's poison, you know? So anyways, I get to this point of desperation where I just, I pray. I don't know who I'm praying to. I'm like, if, if it's Buddha, if it's Allah, if it's Krishna, if it's New Age thing, if it's the universe, if it's Jesus, whoever it is, like, show me the truth. I want to know the truth. And then I, like, I meant it. Because I was searching with my whole heart. I was like, nothing else matters. I just need to know why we're here. I need to know the truth. And I just kind of let that thing fly. And then I went about my, went about my business, mowing the yard, still depressed, still miserable. But I felt like whenever I released that to the, to the sky or whatever, I felt like whoever I was speaking to caught it. I felt like it sunk in somewhere. So, once again, weeks passed by, probably months, and, and Jake, my brother, and my mom started talking to me like, hey, there's this little church in Tyler. I think you might like it. It's, it's not normal. It's not like the normal church. And they're like, you would, you would probably really fit in there. Has anybody ever... Uh, listen to the band Nickelback. 
before. Not willingly, yeah. So I said, I, I don't want to go to that little Nickelback church. And a bunch of hipsters and, you know, all this. They think they're cool, but it's really just going to lead them to the same disappointing place, basically. Real pessimistic. But then I was mowing my yard and I, I had this epiphany like, James, you gave up. Why not just do it? Why not just go? You're probably right. Just go. Just go and see. You know, go check it out. So I, I obliged that influence and went. And Jake had told me stories. I remember we were like Applebee's or something. And he would tell me like, yeah, I talked to the pastor of the church. And I told him my story about the cancer and stuff like that. And he told me like he'd been in the same room that he was in in a dream. And it really intrigued me. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Maybe something there. So I show up, and I walk through those doors right there. And as soon as I walked in, I just I had this feeling of like, I'm home. I had this feeling of like, this feels like home to me. You know, there, everybody, there's a church for everybody. So pray about, you know, where you're supposed to be. There is something to the fellowship for sure. And like plugging in somewhere and being around people that are pursuing the Lord's heart. Uh, but I walk in and I was like, this feels like home. I remember sitting down, worship hit, and I could just see it on everybody's. I could see it on everybody's face. I could see it up here. I was like, those people know God. They know the truth that I'm looking for. And it's just, it's just proof to me at this point. I'm like, okay. So it intrigues me. And so I start coming. I come back every week. I don't think I may have missed a handful of times since. It's been six years. But it intrigued me, and it put me on this path of what if it is Jesus? What if He is God? It's like, is it possible that all these denominations and all these different sects of Christianity, is it possible that they, like, wear your face as a mask? You know? Represent you in all these different ways? But, like, at the core of it, is it really you? And I started to pursue that, and I started to believe that. started to seek it. And I know that, that year, I read, I read the Bible like a madman. I was excited about it. And then I read 60 other books within, like, a year just like devouring this stuff in search of the Lord. And then I started to have dreams. I would have dreams where I would heal people, like grow limbs back. I had dreams where I would raise the dead. Like very vivid dreams where it was like, if that happens in reality, that's what it's going to feel like. And anyways, there was a point, and this, this isn't too scary, there was a point where it came to like the threshold of like, are you gonna are you gonna pursue me like wholeheartedly? Are you gonna choose this life or not? And I read this in a book. It was like, hey, are you all in or are you not? That kind of thing. And I said, yes, I am. And when I said that, this thing demonic showed up in my room and tried to intimidate me. Like, you're not doing this. And it's very real. And I saw it. And I had a choice. When I was a kid, I had the same thing show up when I was about six years old in my bedroom and intimidate me, and it scared me. scared me to death. This thing comes back this moment and just stands there, like, don't do this. And I said, if I don't choose the Lord right now, if I don't choose this now, I'll be running forever. I'll be right back to where I was. I'll be a coward. And so I said, I choose the Lord. And I faced that thing, and it went away. I was like, I'm doing, I'm doing this from there, here on out. So, anyways, I'm on this path of the Lord, and He starts to unlock little pieces of my life. But there's still, like, something there. There's still, like, this blockage. 
in my heart. And I go, uh, I was working at a warehouse at this time. It's cold and dark. But every lunch break, I would go out for 30 minutes. First 15 minutes, I would read my Bible and these books. And the second 15, I would just quiet myself and listen to the Lord. Let Him talk to me. And just feel His presence. I would drive to work, and I would like feel enveloped in Him. But I was on my lunch break one day, and I said, Lord, there's something that is not whole. There's something that is not complete in my heart. Would you, would you show me what it is, and let's get this thing out of here. So in this moment, as soon as I ask him, my dad comes to my mind. I'm like, okay, why him? What is he doing here? And the Lord said, I want you to forgive him. You're going to have to forgive your dad. Because he's the root of all that bitterness. He's the prerequisite to those teachers, the humiliation, the rejection, all of that. The enemy has put your dad's face and worn it as a mask so that you think it's him. He said, you've got to forgive him. And at that point, like I said, I, I told him, I said, I'm all in. So how do you do that, basically? Like, I want to. I want to forgive him. And the Lord will work with that. If you want something, it's the yes in your heart. He will take that and honor that. Even if you don't know how to do it. So I said, yes, I want that. And I started to feel the resentment kind of bubble up. And I could hear the Lord say, like, go into it. Feel that pain. Like, really feel that anger. Feel every bit of that. And I started to feel it, and it felt, I could feel it physically like this weight was being lifted out of me. And then simultaneously, I was seeing Jesus being beaten by the Roman guards, being betrayed. All these things, the Pharisees trying to kill him. And I, I heard, like, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And it was this exchange of his heart for my heart in this moment. And he took this cancerous thing out of me. And he tossed it into what is known as the sea of forgiveness. I saw it, and I was free that day from that bitterness, that unforgiveness. But the profound thing was he, he exchanged my heart for his, and I understood it. And so immediately after that, I'm like, oh my God, I feel like a new person, like a new life, whole new life. And then I say, well, who else is there? The teachers. I go and I forgive this teacher that said my artwork was horrible. I go and I forgive every single person that's wronged me. And the Lord took me into each of those specific moments. It was almost like going back in time where I'm that kid in that classroom and this teacher's saying this to me. And I could look at her and say, I forgive you. I choose forgiveness because I have my father's heart now. So anyways, after that profound change for me, Profoundly different. There was freedom, and I could see. I'd always ask, like, Lord, give me the eyes, give me your eyes, give me your spirit. I want to be able to see in the in the prophetic, and I mean, even the term prophecy, prophetic, it literally means to tap into the mind and the heart of God, and like to express it and to share it. And I, I'd always wanted that. I, or I did desire that, you know. So I was like, Show me. I want to see with your eyes. And after that forgiveness, I was able to see. From that point on, the dreams increased, everything increased. I would go into work in this cold, dark warehouse. And it's kind of like when you're born, you know, you don't know when you're going to be born. Like, here I am, okay, East Texas, okay, there are these two parents, all right, I'm going to this school. When this situation happens and you're like, you're like a new creation, it's like, okay, back to square one. I work in this really cold, dark warehouse with 50, 60 people, check. I have a wife and a daughter, check. You have all these things, and it's like, okay, good. The harvest is ready. Let's go. It's like square one, clean slate. So I go into this warehouse every morning, 
And we had these truck drivers, these burly biker looking truck drivers that would walk by the window and I would pray for all of them as they would come through. I would pray for them. And if the Lord would give me something for them, I would go out there and I would give it to them. It's an extremely uh, compromising situation there. It's just really weird sometimes, but sometimes it was very accurate and very sweet. And it was a good training ground for me. Probably not the job. I probably wouldn't have appreciated it that much, but I did it anyways. So one night, I was practicing this stuff, and I really, really yearned for his heart. One night, I went into work at like, I mean, I think I, I, think I was waking up at like 3 in the morning to drive to work, right? Yes. Awful at first, but then it was like a really good connection time. That period of time is known as the witching hour. It's where all the scary stuff happens, where all the witches do all this stuff. Well, I was like, oh, this is the watching hour. I'm going to pray for everybody. In this like dark, long drive, I'm going to spend time with you, and I'm going to pray for people, and I'm going to cover them. And every morning, I would tap into it like, let me feel your love. That was the intro. Like, let, show me how much you love me. And I would feel like I was enveloped in this ocean of love. And it was just like, have you ever floated to the bottom of a swimming pool and just like sat there? Yeah. You kind of like let all your breath out and just sit there? That's what it felt like. Uh, so anyway, they're going to work one morning and we had this boss there, this manager. And he's got one of those resting, one of those faces that's like, <laughs> you can't tell if he's mad. And like he, he wields it well. He knows you can't tell that he's mad or happy, so he just wears it anyways because he likes being unpredictable. It's just he and I in this office. And I'm over at my desk, and I start praying for him. I'm like, Lord, show me something for this, for this cold manager here. Give me something. And he's just back there dealing with the truck drivers, and there were just moments of just silence where he and I are sitting in there. And I saw that the Lord shows me a picture of him. It just flashes through my mind, and it's him next to an old man in a hospital, and he's like holding his hand and comforting him. So I was like, wow. I turn around. I'm like, hey, mister. And I told him, I said, hey, I was just praying for you, and I felt like the Lord showed me you have this ability to impart comfort and value to people, like at your church, like as an elder or something. I saw you going into hospitals. And comforting people. And that alone, without you even saying anything, you just showing up gives them so much joy and comfort. And he has that face. And then he says, that's my job. That's what I do. He said, I go to all those people. Like, I am an elder. I go and do these things. And he said, thank you for sharing that with me. Still kind of cold, but I can see it a little bit. I can see that little twinkle in his eye. And here's how I know that it hit he walks out of the office and he comes back in with his radio, sets it on the counter, puts it on the Christian station, Christian music station, and plays the Christian music in the office. And I was like, that is really sweet for him to do that. And like this is, and it was almost like, hey, yeah, this is priority. This is what matters. So, <clears throat> sorry, I'm going through my little bullet points here. Yeah, unoffendable. One thing that the Lord taught me about that is the prerequisite to miracles, to uh, prophecy, seeing in the Spirit, all these things, the prerequisite is love and it is wielding His heart. Um, and so the, the times that I've had things for people like that in that situation is when I'm not, not when I'm looking saying, Lord, give me a word for that person or show me something for that person. It's, a, it's Lord, let me feel your heart for the people around me. Let me just feel the love for these people. 
And that's one of the most beautiful things that He's done for us, is give us His Spirit, give us, give us His heart and His mind. One of the most overlooked things. One more story. One day I was jogging. This was not long ago. This was a couple of months ago. I was jogging down the trail. And I started this jog off with, Lord, every person I pass, I want to feel your love for them. And I just want to wave at them. And it's going to, the love's going to hit them when I wave at them. Or I'll give them a nod or something like that. Smile at them. You know, let them know that they're there. And so I start going on this path. And I'm feeling this like rush of like love from all these people that I passed by. And I passed by this one particular woman and I get a first and a last name just pops into my head. First and a last name, never heard it before. And I'm like, wow. Either I'm crazy or you just gave me somebody's name. I said, Lord, is that her? And I got the impression, no, it's not her. It's somebody she loves very much. And I want you to tell her that she is going to, she's in the middle of this right here and here, but the Lord has her in his hands. That was the gist of it. I said, okay, well, if you, if she passes by me again, then I'll stop and give this to her. But at this point, I'm feeling that love so much that it's not even weird. It's not even scary. It's just so natural. So sure enough, she comes back within my sphere in front of me and I stop her and I say, hey, I said, I go on these runs and I like to pray a lot. It's a good connection time with the Lord and Right when I, when I passed you by, he gave me this name, first and last name, and I told her. And she like, it hits her. She starts crying. She pulls out her phone. She said, that's my cousin's name. And that hits me, and I'm like, oh. I didn't think it was actually going to be something. And it really hit me, and then it's like, well, now you got to deliver the rest of it, James. Like, the rest of the message you got for her. And I said, I feel like she, your cousin, is in this situation, but the Lord has her in his hands. All this stuff. And then I feel like God wants me to tell you that you're a powerful woman. I said, this one's for you. I feel like he wants me to tell you you're a powerful woman. She shows me her phone and she's reading a book titled Woman of Purpose and Power. And that's another one. Like, oh my gosh. But all that stuff is like birthed out of like, Lord, I just want to feel your heart for people. I just want to feel love. So... Anyways, that's, that's a bit of my story, kind of like the unforgiveness really unlocked a lot of things and unlocked the vision. And here's something else that's really cool. Uh, whenever I, I accepted, agreed to do this, this message today, I thought, well, my dad's such a heavy part of this story. I'm going to call him and I'm going to tell him all this. So I called my dad last week and just tell him, like, you know, I really, you may know some of this, you may not, but I really used to resent you. I really had hatred for you and you were the core of a lot of my bitterness and resentment that I carried for all these years. And the Lord taught me to forgive you. He, he showed me who you were, taught me how to forgive you, and exchange the heart, this kind of thing. Uh, basically ended up like, I'm glad you're my dad. He said, I'm glad you're my son. And it was this incredible nail in the coffin of that, that chapter of deception in my life. And what's really cool is like, you want to know how to cut the head off of a very real demonic, dark theme. We were able to look, to go back and look at it and say, oh yeah, look where the enemy tried to creep in and separate us and cause this division. And look what the Lord did. He cleaned up our family. He starts inside in your heart and he transforms it from the inside out. He gives you his heart. You replace yours with his. And it goes down your family lineage into your children, but then it goes back up too. He redeems the whole thing. He's going for all of it. Yeah. 
anyways. Kind of like DT says, what's the point? I've got a few of them in here. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's the priority. Prioritize Him. Prioritize His voice in your life. His Spirit will lead you into all truth. It's another point. Forgive. Release people. Own your rights and then surrender them. There's something about owning it to say, yes, that person did me wrong. I have the absolute right to be offended. I have the right to be bitter. I have the right to it. And then to say, but I choose forgiveness. I choose to surrender it. And that is a very tangible, I would say, exercise to really take your keys back is to sit in that moment of bitterness and feel it and say, yep, yep, they were wrong. I've been wrong. But then to say, I choose forgiveness. Because then you're walking like Him. You're walking like the Lord at that point. And when you choose to do it, there's residue sometimes that things will come up and you'll feel it. It's okay to feel things. It's okay to feel the bitterness and the resentment. But when it comes up, you just say, no, I still, I choose forgiveness. And it's like sweeping out that wound, you know. It's healing. And then it becomes your response. It becomes your nature. Because it's His nature. (laughs) And then this Scripture, this just reiterates it. When Peter says, somebody sins against me, like how many times do I have to forgive them? Seven times? Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 77 times. It's like this isn't a measurable thing. It's not a measurable thing. Your response is forgiveness. That's it. Release people. And the forgiveness, it releases yourself too. It's for you. And lastly, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. This has been such a theme for me lately. It's so easy to fall back into the belief of like asking Him for something as if He's like floating around in the sky somewhere or as if He's like this separate entity that's somewhere else. You know, but he's actually like closer than our thoughts. He lives inside of us. Like he's in our thoughts. He has armed us with his heart, his faith, his power, his peace, his patience. Think about that. We have the faith of God. We have the peace of God. We have access to all of that. Peace that surpasses understanding. Ask Him for all of it and let Him teach you. Let Him train you. Let Him lead you into all truth. And it's like forgiveness is one thing. That's part of my story. But what if you have anxiety? Ask Him. Ask Him for wholeness in that area. He'll give you peace that surpasses understanding. Whatever it may be. If it's loneliness, He'll show you that He's there. He'll show you angels. He'll show you these things. This is very real. Whatever it may be, Jesus Christ makes you whole. He's the antidote to every dark thing that entered in through the fall through Adam. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He is that transformation catalyst in our lives. We're made in His image. We look like Him. To the degree we let go, He will move in. We conform to His image. Every situation, every circumstance, trial, conflict, we apply all of those outer things, we apply it to Christ in us. And it transforms those situations. It becomes food for us. 
That's how the world changes. Anywhere we are, so is He. And then last thing, give Him your heart because He yearns to replace it with His. Lord, uh, thank You so much for Your goodness. Thank You so much for what You, what you paid for that we are going to walk in, Lord. You've given us Your mind. You've given us Your heart. You've given us Your love, Your faith. Lord, I thank You for forgiveness. I thank You for all these tools that You've equipped us for. And I thank You for demonstrating it, Lord. We have, we have the Bible. We have Your Word. We have the Gospel. We have all these things that we can, we can see You in, Lord, and grow into. Anyone within the vicinity, of my, in the vicinity of my voice, anything in this story is for You. We've got the same Dad. He's got that same fridge. And You're welcome to it. Lord, thank You for this opportunity. Amen.